0: Hi, and welcome to our podcast, The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster with the bipartisan firm Purple Strategies. And I'm Kristen Zoltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with the firm Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, entertainment, and pop culture. Well, thank you so much, David Dutwin. We're so excited to have you, to have a real methodologist, uh, on to talk about this question that we are constantly trying to get the answer to, which is what is the future of telephone polling? Is, uh, telephone calling still the better way to reach people as opposed to online or something else? Can the polls be trusted? I guess is the bigger, qu- bigger picture question that everybody wants to know. So David, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Margie. Glad to be here.
0: So tell us a little bit about your background. You're with SSRS, and you're heavily involved in APOR for folks who aren't familiar with those acronyms. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background?
1: Sure. So, yeah, I'm the Executive Vice President and Chief Methodologist for SSRS. We're a full-service research firm. We do a lot of different kinds of uh, research, telephone, internet, uh, politics, health research, education research. We're the... um, uh, telephone provider for all the polls for CBS News and the New York Times and many other people as well. So APOR is the American Association for Public Opinion Research, as you know, and I serve on Executive Council right now as the conference chair. So I'm in charge of the 2016 conference, and I'm happy to say so far, no major <laughs> disasters. It's going pretty well. It's going to be a great conference in Austin in May this year for anyone who's interested.
0: Well, as a Longhorn alum myself, I can attest to how awesome Austin is for, if you have a reason to go to Austin, this seems like a good one because Austin is pretty great. So you guys picked a great location for your conference for sure. Um, so I've been doing this for a long time, you know, almost 20 years and regularly people ask, can we trust the polls? How do you get someone to participate uh, 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 by telephone? I always hang up when people call me, you know, recently, not even that recently, still for most of those 20 years, people have been asking, why can't we use the Internet instead? Isn't that the better way to go? How does your work answer some of these questions?
1: Well, so uh, the work that I've done and my colleague Trent Buskirk has uh, been working hard all the way as well. Uh, we've done two major research projects. The first is to compare modern-day telephone surveys to Internet surveys. And the important part there is modern because, uh, you know, as you sort of alluded to, telephone response rates right now are as low as they've ever been. So to to look at surveys of five years ago even is sort of a a little bit of a different animal. The second research endeavor is to look at the quality of telephone surveys today compared to how they've been in the in the past 20 years so um, in the first research study uh, what we did was we took a number of current telephone polls and a number of current internet polls and basically compared them in at, uh, with regard to their micro demographics uh, you know how many people in their sample are african americans with a graduate degree how many people in their sample are um 18 to 24 and live in the west um those sorts of things and really just looking at how far off those um percentages are to what the census tells us they should be and uh as well we take uh both internet and telephone and we do a lot of different variants of those polls there's um I know your viewers probably have varying degrees of knowledge about this, but you can weight data, you can statistically adjust it so that if, for example, you're not, you didn't interview enough African-Americans, you can give them a little more weight so that they count more for themselves and represent that population more accurately. So there's lots of different things you can do, uh, especially in Internet data. There's sample matching, there's propensity weighting, there's Standard calibration and and more elaborate calibration. There's all these different techniques, and so we we basically did the whole kitchen sink, tried every single combination um, to see what happened. And at the end of the day, and this is largely confirmatory with a lot of other research that's been done in the last two or three years, uh, internet panels tend to have about twice as much bias and as much as three or four times the bias depending on the weighting technique uh, than telephone samples do. And really, one of the the most interesting results we found was not that, um, because, again, a number of other people have actually found that to be true, but what's what's called the variance of, of the bias, meaning telephone samples, you know, they're off a little bit here and there, but they're usually only off by a little, and it's consistent from one measure to the next. Whereas with the internet panels, we found that some of the metrics were quite accurate, and some of them were really far off. And the problem with this, we felt, is that you know, a lot we do surveys to 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 discover things we don't already know, right? It's one thing to ask age or education, these are things people already know. The census already knows what percentage of the United States is 18 to 24 or whatever. So you can compare it. But you know, when you're asking people how favorable they are toward Bernie Sanders, there there's no gold standard metric out there. So In the Internet survey, the fear is that you don't know whether that particular estimate has a lot of bias, a lot of error, or or a little error. So you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit more than with telephone samples.
0: So do you think one of the reasons driving the difference is something unique about telephone methodology versus online methodology? Is it something to do with the opt-in model? Because you can compare... If I understand what you're saying correctly, that the the, mm. the demographics. Uh,
1: yeah, for sure. There's, there's sort of two challenges with Internet. Uh, and I should, you know, there's sort of loose language that, that when people talk about this to be really precise. When I say Internet, I'm talking opt in convenience panels, panels that people join. Um, they're they're sort of self-selected to join. Right. You may go shopping on online. And then after you check out, it says, hey, you know, want, want to do a survey? And you go ahead and do that survey. So that's a very different way of finding people than randomly calling people and, and asking them to participate. Um, and so that's the first difference. Uh, so you're the, not,
0: so you're not yeah. talking about, for example, when Pew puts together their online panel and they're recruit, pre recruiting people or right. when GFK uh, knowledge networks, when they pre recruit people using RDD or random digit dial to recruit people who don't have internet access and providing them with a terminal, right? You're not including, you're right. not, that's not the comparison you're making. Exactly,
1: right? exactly. Uh, so, uh, and the other issue with, with in uh, internet panels, of course, is that, uh, roughly 12 to 15% of the population still doesn't have internet. Um, I mean, that said, you know, internet panels, look, I mean, I, I use them on a lot of different projects as well. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not on the podcast to, to bash them. There's, there's definite utility. Um, you know, the field is rife with the key, key phrase right now, fit for purpose, you know, that, that, um, if you're trying to do official government statistics, you probably don't want to do an internet panel. If you're doing a political poll, you know there's a lot of debate in the field right now as to whether um, you know. Look, the, the track record for the last two elections has been fairly good. It was definitely um, quite good in 2012. Not not as good in 2014 for opt-in internet panels. You know, the good news for for political surveys is that. Um, you know, that 15% of America that doesn't have internet and therefore can never be part of one of these panels, you know, they they tend to not vote either. Um, So for political surveys, it's not such a big deal. Whereas if you're doing a health survey, um, you know, and trying to get an accurate measure of how how many people are uninsured, it's a huge deal because those 15% are almost, you know, are largely uninsured and the, the rest of America is largely insured. So You know pick your poison and your topic but for political surveys you know opt-in internet panels have uh you know done a fairly good job in the last two elections and i know myself and many other um, methodologists are working to find methods to make them even more accurate in the future but at the end of the day um you know right now there is a a measurable larger inherent um chance of those results being biased um, and again, like I said, the variance of the bias that there's this fear that you, you you don't really ever know how off you are until, I guess, until Election Day and you find out. But um so that's the challenge um with those kinds of surveys.
0: So let's talk about the telephone side of the equation. I mean, you had yeah. you mentioned this drop in response rates that's now been going on for years and years and years. It just keeps on dropping. How yeah. is that? But yet. And you're not the first person to argue this that you know that our ability to predict outcomes and have a representative telephone sample hasn't really changed that much despite this drop in response rates. Why is that?
1: Yeah, so just uh, by way of a little background, so that that second research project that I mentioned earlier, um what we did was we wanted to see how good low response rate, modern day low response rate surveys are. And the way this has been done in the past is, is Scott Keeter and other people um, have have taken a high response rate survey and chopped off all the hard-to-reach respondents to force it to be a low response rate survey, and then they compare the two and see how biased they are. And that body of literature, which is about 10 years old at this point, um, found almost no significant differences whatsoever, that the low response rate surveys were as good um, and getting estimates as accurate as the high response rate survey. The problem today is that you know there really aren't any high response rate surveys out there to take and and chop off the hard to reach people, and they're all low right now. So what we did was we said, well, let's let's take surveys that we know that the the people who do these surveys have made every effort to not change anything over the years. You know, ABC, CBS, Pew uh these people you know they want their polls to be nationally representative 10 years ago 20 years ago and today as much as ever and they've worked very hard to make their methods the same every single year so we say okay well you know these surveys have gone from response rates in the mid-30s to to the single digits over a 20-year span what has that that same kind of bias comparison i mentioned in the earlier study how does that fare here And what we found is that um, the bias does start going up uh, and then oddly starts going down. We're we're on actually a five-year trend right now of bias going down in telephone surveys despite response rates plummeting. Uh, What we surmise is that telephone uh, surveyors have finally caught up to realizing that they have to do a lot of cell phones. And as those... um, Researchers have increased their share of cell phones. The bias is actually now starting to go down, and so the bias that has gone that did go up didn't go up because response rates were going down, but was going up because uh, they were firms were only interviewing on landlines, and you know, lo and behold, half of America right now doesn't own a landline anymore. So hard to be accurate when you're only interviewing half the population.
0: Right, and Pew is now doing seventy-five percent of their calls on cell. I think it is right.
1: Yeah. So to, to, to now sort of directly answer your question, um, you know, look, at the end of the day, uh, that it doesn't matter if four out of five people hang up on you compared to back in the old days when only one out of five person people hung up on you. As long as the people who hang up on you look just like the people who don't. Now, I'm not saying that they don't look different. We know that that people who refuse tend to be younger, they tend to be less white, but by and large they do look very very similar Um, and that's why these studies, uh, Trent uh, Buskirk and my study, uh, Keter's studies, Groves studies of the past have all found the same thing that, that as response rates have gone down bias has not really gone up because at the end of the day who responds and who doesn't tends to be a fairly, uh, you know, more random event than not, I would say.
0: Right. And maybe all the response rates are dropping at the same rate. So seniors obviously are right. a little bit more likely to participate than younger folks. But that was true 20 years ago when response rates overall were higher.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, and I, I will just throw a little a little side commentary. In doing all this, it, it does make me sad to realize that you know, so many people are hanging up. And, and I have to admit, I, I've hung up on people wanting to do surveys in the past. But I, I have learned to, to you know, stop and get a little bit of information first. And, you know, if I find out that they want to pull me to figure out, you know, what the next, uh, you know, the color of the next box of cereal should be, then I'll probably hang up. But if they want to talk about politics, like, I'm a citizen of the United States. I, you know, this is my chance to to tell the world what I think. Why would I hang up, Right. I I wish Americans would would go back to to thinking a little bit like that, to realize that, you know, there's far and few opportunities to to participate in democracy. This is one of them. So, you know, take that 15 minutes and
0: participate
1: in democracy a little bit. I I think it's a great thing.
0: Well, you're definitely going to be preaching to the converted here (laughs) of our listeners, for sure. But I got to tell you, as someone who's done focus groups about food and focus groups about politics, people... They always want to talk about food. Not everybody wants to talk about <laughs> politics. Most people are pretty happy talking about what they had for breakfast or lunch that day. Um nice. so in the documents you sent over, uh you had there was a page that just said TCPA in exclamation oh. points. And we had Howard Feinberg uh from the uh, MRA on a few months ago and he talked about uh TCPA and its implications for the industry. We've had we have thousands of new listeners since you came on. Can you tell us a little bit about what's TCPA? How does it affect the industry, and, and why does it matter? And how soon should we start panicking?
1: Yeah, well, uh, it's the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, and it's actually been out for quite some time now. the The original intent, if I if I can take the liberty to to surmise, what the original intent was, was to limit the amount of telemarketing that that is occurring that uh, the the number one complaint that the FCC gets from consumers is that there's too much telemarketing and they have to stop it. So the FCC largely instituted this to limit um, and the way that they said, well, hey, you know, this is how we'll solve this is uh, to force uh, people who who are dialing unknown telephone numbers to have to dial them by hand rather than to have a computer dial them for them as you can imagine, that now doubles or even triples the labor that, that um, would have been the case if you could allow a computer to dial that number. So this makes, yes, this does make telemarketing um, a hard business model when, when you're not really that efficient in calling numbers, but it's had a, a really terrible effect on survey research because now we've been forced to have to do the same thing, um, to dial you know 10 digits by hand um, you're not supposed to use any machinery that, that is, uh, has auto dialing capabilities. And so most survey shops that, um, have, have been working to literally throw their dialers out of the building. Um, uh, you know, people joke that we have to almost dial with a rotary phone. And at first I, I laugh at how ludicrous that sounded, but in the reality of the situation that's we're not that far off from that. We're really just, you know, we have hundreds of interviewers hand dialing numbers and it's just very expensive. I guess the good news is that at least, uh, you know, I can't say how many firms are, are cheating the system. Uh, certainly, anecdotally, there's, you know, word out there that a lot of companies have, have been summoned, have had um, legal action taken against them for people claiming that they are cheating. Um, For those of us who are not cheating, um, I guess the good news is, hey, we've been doing it this way for years now. You know, I kind of feel like as far as SSRS is concerned, you know, we we've already crossed that bridge and and people are still wanting to do telephone research with us. So um, but it has unfortunately made telephone research probably I'd say at the end of the day, probably uh, at the end of the day, 20 to 25 percent more expensive than it used to be in the past. Um, and so it's just, you know, it's making it even more difficult. I think in terms of politics, what, what I find sad and not that, you know, SSRS is a nonpartisan firm, we don't work for candidates, but, um, firms that do have had a terrible time. One of the, uh, implications of TCPA is that robocalling is basically becoming illegal. And, um, while that's, you know, maybe a good thing in a lot of different domains, um, to, uh, what's called ivr um you know voice voice recognized uh, interviews um really were the only way that really small campaigns state campaigns county campaigns uh, that these candidates could afford any kind of polling to figure out where they're how they're doing and um you know those those candidates really are kind of flying blind now they they just don't have the money to do a telephone survey um, and and they now can no longer do IVR surveys, so they're really just, uh, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like this little corner of industry that is is becoming extinct, um, and it's kind of sad.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it, it, we've had folks come on with a variety of different thoughts about IVR, but what I think it, what this may mean in practical terms is that it's going to push more. Folks who are budget conscious online and certainly that's where the corporate world has been now for a while. But, you know, regardless of what the reports may say about online versus versus a telephone for candidates who are looking at something statewide, it's possible to go online or even a congressional district, perhaps depending on the district. But for smaller races, legislative county races, you, you simply can't find a good it's, it's very tough, I should say. It's very difficult to find a good online solution for something in a smaller market, a smaller area. So then you're right. It just, you know, it just makes things even more, sque- you know, you're squeezed. You're squeezed from the IVR side. You're squeezed cost-wise from the telephone side. And you're squeezed because online is, uh, is a difficult option.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so these local candidates don't have really any options. Because like you said, the Internet, there's just not enough panelists on on a given panel that live in Lancaster County Pennsylvania or what you know whatever the case may be
0: so, uh, I see that you're on the task force at APOR for the future of telephone surveys. So that's a, you know, a big, a big title. So let's get your <laughs> prediction and your outlook for the future of telephone surveys. Do you feel it's rosy and sunny? Do you feel it's cloudy? What's your sense? This is a qualitative question now. This is not a quantitative question. Yes.
1: A magic eight ball question. I, I need to shake my magic eight ball. Probably will say ask later, but I'll, I'll, I'll answer now in any event. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, as part of that task force, uh, w- what I did was I asked uh, about a dozen firms, uh, large survey research firms, if they would share with me their um, the results of their surveys over the last eight years, both by landline and cell phone. To really sort of understand what's what's going on, why are response rates going down? Is it because more people are refusing? Is it because uh, phone numbers are are becoming less working? You know, there's more non-working numbers. Um, is it because people are just screening with the answering machine and voicemail? What's going on? So, what I found was that on the landline, all three things are going on. Uh, people are screening more. People are refusing more. And the non-working rates are getting higher and higher, mainly because I think as people give up their landline and go cell phone only, the telephone companies aren't really retiring that number. So it just sits out there and we have to dial it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you take the, the wireless uh, substitution estimates, this is the, the CDC, uh, Stephen Bloomberg and colleagues um, provide an estimate of how much of the United States only owns a cell phone. Um, which has been linearly increasing since the early 2000s. If you extend that linear projection out, um, I mean, it should flatten at some point. But let's just pretend you just straight line it, you know, with a ruler. No one will own a cell phone in the United States in about 10 years. So, you know, landline is on limited borrowed time as it is. The good news is on cell phones, what I found is that refusal rates are flat. Non-working rates are going down and you know no answer answer voicemail rates are going up um a little bit uh but at the end of the day when you add all those three things together what you find is um what you find is a metric called yield yield is the number of telephone numbers you have to dial to actually get one person to be interviewed and on the landline side in the last 8 years that's gone from 15 numbers to 40 numbers which is pretty terrible now remember Probably 20 to 25 of those numbers are just flat out non-working. So it's not like 39 people are hanging up on. you. Um, on the cell phone side, it was at about 20 to one, eight years ago, and it's still there today. So what this says to me is, hey, you know, our future is cell phone dialing. We know landline is is limited. And, you know, right now, if if this holds, then the cost per interview of a cell phone interview five years from now should not really be functionally different than it than it is today. Uh, Certainly, you know, these trends can change. They're not all linear. Um, You know, the world can change underneath us. But my my hope is that, um, you know, cell phone interviewing, what, what my researchers found is that cell phone interviewing has a quality advantage. Um, as you said, it's, it's, it's probably not enough of a quality advantage for, for most market researchers. But people who want to do, you know, high level research, foundational research, academic research, that quality difference does matter to them. Um, phones are always going to be way more expensive than internet. There's no, there's no denying that. Um, but the good news is that it looks like right now that, that, that cost differential is not going to get any worse in the, in the near future.
0: Great. Okay, well I I guess we'll put you down then for Rosie. <laughs> cost differential <laughs> cost differential won't get worse. I guess that's the most optimistic. We, we can all hope, yeah. <laughs> so, uh how can people learn more about what you're up to, your work and and follow you and get more information?
1: Sure. Well, um, you know, like most people, I'm 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 on Twitter, uh this, these research papers, the, the first, uh, has been accepted into, uh, public opinion quarterly. So that'll probably take, uh, you know, three, four months or even longer to get out there, but it's, it's, it's in the works. The second paper we're, we're submitting for review right now, but, um, we hope to have white papers on the, uh, SSRS website within about a month on both of those. And then the, the telephone task force for APOR is, is aiming to probably have a report out by uh by this summer and again i'm going to be writing um submitting a side paper hopefully that'll be out sooner than that so uh, you know the good the good news here is that uh all this stuff i've been talking about today is is really it's so cutting edge a lot of it's not even in print yet but um it'll get there. It's just going to take a little bit of time.
0: Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking to us about it. I think uh, you explained everything so clearly. I think it will be really helpful to some of our experts and non-experts alike.
1: Great. My pleasure, Margie.
0: When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station. Classic rock. Hip hop. Pop. Guys, quiet. The one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switched to Metro PCS. Stop by MetroPCS
1: with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG, when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out.
0: Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the t mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.